0: Oh, yes, indeed. It's just around the corner. Our favorite time of the year, college football season. Yes, indeed. I'm Jimmy Odd, along with Paul Stone at Paul Stone Sports, Bruce Marshall, Vegas Insider and CBS Sports Line. And Paul, this is this is uh, what we live for, man. Uh, Right around the corner. And uh, we start our college football previews today.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, as we record Tuesday, July 25th, uh, I was reading last night, San Diego State actually starts their preseason workouts this Friday. They play a week uh, zero game against uh, Ohio University, one of seven games uh, that week. So this Saturday in a few days we'll be, uh, I guess, four weeks away from real college football. So it's getting close, great time of year, uh, a lot of anticipation.
0: And Bruce, right in the middle of it. I mean, here is a transitional year. I mean, it is conference realignment, and Oklahoma and Texas, their swan song last time and. wonder if some of the Big 12 members will have a little extra juice in the tank. Last shot at the uh, Sooners and Longhorns. They had BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. And so, of course, Houston got the original snub going from the, uh, the Southwest Conference to the Big 12. But, you know, th- your thoughts on this transformation into this league as well.
2: Yeah, I don't think they're done yet in the Big 12. Uh, we know this is the last year with Oklahoma and Texas. They brought those four in. Uh, rumors are out there. I mean, those four corner schools from the Pac-12 are still on the radar. That would be the Arizona schools, Utah, and Colorado. So I don't know that the Big 12 is done yet. I think Brett Yormark, the commissioner, has done a really nice job stabilizing this thing since he came uh, came in a couple of years ago for Bob Bolsby. remember, uh, right after the word of Oklahoma and Texas, which I heard, we heard two summers ago, I was actually at uh, ACC Media Day when I heard that, and that hit like an atomic bomb, uh, and there was thought the Big 12 might not be able to stay afloat. Well, they've done that. Your Mark's done a really nice job stabilizing things there. They've got a nice media deal going forward. They're in expansion mode. So uh, he's done a really good job, and yes, I do think the, uh, the schools that uh, are going to be facing Oklahoma and Texas this year, uh, yeah, the Sooners and Longhorns are worth a bigger bullseye than they normally do.
0: Well, that's where we start, because Texas is the even-money favorite to win the league uh, at Bent Rivers. Uh, Oklahoma is second choice at plus 335. So Oklahoma had a really tough time of it. It'll be year three uh, for Sarkeesian after a 12-12 and 12, uh, combined first two. You have to think, though, this is his best roster. And, but, uh, you know, the, the one thing we talk about numbers as well, and, Paul, this one really catches my attention. Last year in Austin, so A&M is catching 21 points against Alabama. They go from Austin to Tuscaloosa, and Alabama's only laying six and a half. So 14 and a half points, give or take 10 more. We're talking about over a three-touchdown swing on the perception or the point spread value, power ratings for these two teams. We'll start with Texas, Paul.
1: Yeah, I think from Alabama's standpoint, obviously the, uh, the transition from Bryce Young um, you know, the top pick in the NFL draft to uh, one of three contenders for the Alabama job, and I think it's a wide-open race still. So that certainly uh, is much the reason for the Alabama change in pie rating. And then you got this Texas team. I mean, you know, I've, I've followed Texas, uh, went to the University of Texas, have, uh, suffered through many of the last, uh, you know, 14 or 15 seasons since they lost to Alabama uh, for the national championship there in 2009. Uh, they have underachieved uh, more often than not, and really over the last 25 or 30 years they have. But you look at this team, certainly Steve Sarkeesian, uh, only, I believe, 9-12 and 12 against uh, Power 5 schools, his two seasons at Texas. Uh, he has nine seasons combined between Washington, USC, and Texas. He's never won 10 games. So there are some fair you know, criticisms of Steve, Steve uh, Sarkeesian, but he does have a veteran team. Uh, they don't have any – they've really – the last several years, whether it be Tom Herman before him or, or Strong before that or the end of the Mac Brown era, they've always had some weaknesses. And you always knew, and offensive line was usually one of them, you always knew they were deficient somewhere on both sides of the ball usually and they could be attacked. Uh, they were vulnerable. But this team has no obvious glaring weaknesses. They do have to find a running back uh, to replace Bijan Robinson, but Cedric Baxter Jr., Five-star recruit out of uh, the state of Florida and some others, I think, can fill in there. But you just look at this team, all five offensive linemen who started all 13 games are back. They have left tackle uh, Kelvin Banks. Last year, Banks, as a true freshman, he went head-to-head with four players who were selected among the top 31 selections in the entire draft, Uh, two of those being Will Anderson from Alabama uh, Tyree Wilson from uh, Texas Tech, he gave up one sack all season as a true freshman. The quarterback got knocked down one time on that sack, you know, on his watch. So Banks, a surefire guy. You can mark it down. He's a Thursday night draft pick uh, in 2025, I guess. So big-time left tackle. They're going to be better. They're gonna, it's going to be a strength. The offensive line has been a weakness as far as being a top-level uh you know, Power 5 school has been a weakness in recent years. It's going to go to a strength. Uh, again, they have to replace B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson at the running back positions. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think they'll be able to do that. And what it comes down to for Texas, no question about it, this is not some great revelation on my part, but it comes down to the play of quarterback Quinn Ewers. You know, last year against Alabama in that uh, second-week game, before he got injured at the end of the first quarter. I mean, he looked really, really solid. He was making great throws uh, down the field, missed about four or five games. And when he came back, I mean, he was wildly inconsistent the rest of the year, just throwing the ball all over the place. I think he even lost his confidence. So if he can become uh, consistent, they're a top 10 team without question. And if he doesn't become consistent, if he stays inconsistent, don't look for Arch Manning. Not going to be Arch Manning. People keep talking about Arch Manning It's going to be Malik Murphy. It's going to be the big kid from California without question. They love Murphy. He's a big guy. He's built up. He can run the football. He's going to be a big-time college football player somewhere. It might be in Austin. It might be this year. It might be next year. Uh, But keep your eye on uh, Malik Murphy. So I like this Texas team uh, to win the conference. I think you can get them. You know, you're not going to get them at a, at a great price because they're the overwhelming uh, favorite. I think they're at plus 100 there at Bet Rivers. But I like Texas to win the the Big 12. I think mean, they're head and shoulders above the other uh, 13 teams.
0: And uh, also, you like that over 9.5, um, 10 of 11 unders for Texas, you know, in this. But like we said, this is, this is Sark's uh, best roster. And, you know, even though we might not see much of Arch Manning, if any, Paul, may have forced uh, Quinn Ewers to grow up. A little bit because a recruit of his magnitude is going to get the attention of uh, the, the, you know, the, the position, the depth chart. Uh, Bruce, your thoughts on the uh, on, on the, uh, the the Longhorns who haven't won a big Twin, big 12 title since 2009.
2: <clears throat> I'm not going to second guess Paul Stone talking about Texas. Yeah, he knows more about Texas football than anybody. So, I um, know oh, he, he might be right. My one caution about Sarkisian, and this is what I've always thought, uh, his reputation, I thought a lot of it was forged. Now, we know where he's been. I mean, he was obviously on Pete Carroll's staff at USC. Eventually, he went to Nick Saban's staff uh, at Alabama. A real influence on him, though, was Norm Chow, uh, because he had coached under Chow at SC2, and so that was another influence for him. But when he took that job at Washington in 2009, he inherited a team with zero wins, and he got them pretty good you know, competitive or quickly up to five wins. They beat USC and Carroll in his first year in 2009. Here's the thing though. That really wasn't a zero win team he inherited. Ty Willingham did a miserable job at the end of his tenure in Seattle. They lost Jake Locker, who remember, became an NFL first round pick for the Titans a few years later at quarterback. So that 2008 Washington team. Yeah. Okay. Oh, 11 or 12. What, what it was that yeah, year. 11, 11, yeah. they, they weren't that bad. And they shouldn't have been that bad. That should have been a four or five win team that year. Uh, and, and Willingham's fault. And then the injury to Locker too. That made Sarkeesian seem a lot better than I think he really was right off the bat. And since then, his career's had ups and downs. And I would maintain it. Uh, you know, I don't know as many Texas people as Paul does. But uh, some that I have talked to, you know, they weren't sure. This was not a unanimous thing to move Tom Herman out to get. Uh, they thought he should have deserved one more year maybe and to move sarkisian in i'm not sure that's an upgrade at all yet so i have my reservations about sarkisian however what paul says about this roster i think is spot on Uh, they are loaded and it should happen this year it's going to get tougher next year when they get to the sec so uh, for sarkisian's sake uh, i hope uh, this is a year they uh, they put it together
0: Oklahoma plus 335. Their win total is also nine and a half. The under at minus 115 uh, at Bet Rivers. So, um, I mean, they were uh, uh, 11th in the Big 12 in yards per, yards per game. Uh, I mean, and, uh, you know, minus 34 uh, last year. They don't play Kansas State and Baylor this year, and Dylan Gabriel's got to stay healthy. Gosh, do you remember when he went out? I mean, it was a huge drop-off. Venables, is he a head coach? We don't know. Seems to be a little bit, you know, you know. Still, the jury is out because it was such a rough one. Now, he needs to – it's not your typical roster last year for OU. They've been better. But he has recruited well. A couple of top 10 recruiting classes, recruiting class rankings are exactly that. They can really uh, fluctuate and certainly uh, struggle to be um, uh, accurate at some times. But still, Bruce, you like this under in Oklahoma, and you're not ready that this big brand name is just going to bounce right back in year two under Brent Venables.
2: No, I'm not. I mean that. I mean it was an average team last year. I mean the defense looked as bad as it did um, when Lincoln Riley was there that last year. They didn't. I mean, they might have regressed a little bit, and that was supposed to be Venables' uh, strength. Now Ted Roof, veteran coordinator, with him, maybe he's passed his sell by date, but that was very disappointing. I mean this team ranked 121st in total defense last year. That's like in the bottom 10 nationally, and this is with one of the most respected coordinators in the country. And and here here's my concern. Uh, And Paul knows this too. He's been around. You've been around too. Lots of times a a high profile coordinator, it doesn't always translate into being a head coach. There's a different skill set involved. And sometimes it's hard for a coordinator who likes to get granular to see the big picture like that. Uh, So I never assume that a coordinator is going to come in and be a home run hire right off the bat. I need to see some evidence of it. The evidence thus far here is Uh, against venables now he deserves a little more runway but i will caution this is oklahoma and they are going into the sec next year they have changed jockeys pretty quick in the past when it looks like things aren't going too well schnellenberger there were some other things going on with him gary gibbs right before that looked like he might stick as soon as that thing started to flounder a bit he was out schnellenberger one year john blake they didn't give him much much time so they don't waste a lot of time. And I think he's under some pressure this year. They, they can't go another six and seven this year. There's going to, the war drums are already beating there. And they started to beat in that Texas game that you mentioned when Gabriel was out and they were short in the bullpen last year, they didn't have a backup. They only passed for 39 yards in that game. They had a running back. They had a receiver. They had a punter, throw a pass, a backup quarterback. Uh, it, it didn't work. Uh, it got a little better when Gabriel came back after that, but the problem last year you know, was defense, and has that improved that much? He's brought in a lot of portal ads who have come in. Um, I'm not sure uh, you know, to rely on the portal that quickly. Uh, there were some structural things wrong last year. Yeah, Gabriel is, is good. He gives them a chance. They've lost a couple of their top playmakers last year. Mims, the wide receiver, Draft pick of the Broncos, Gray, the running back. He's now with the Giants. Now, normally a place like Oklahoma can replace the skill position players. And I think it's most important to keep Gabriel in there. Jackson Arnold, freshman quarterback. I think they're thinking about him for the SEC. He's very highly regarded. So eventually this is probably going to be the guy taking snaps. Will Venables be the guy? I don't know. I think this is this is a real leap of faith by the oddsmakers to put these guys up at 9.5. This is an old Oklahoma sort of number. Uh, I don't see it this year and uh, because, like I said, they were just in the middle of the pack in the Big 12. This is not an easy league, and even with some of the changes that they've got in this year with some of the new teams, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's you're asking a lot for Oklahoma to return to its prominence after one year when it, it certainly didn't look like Oklahoma last season. I'm looking definitely under uh, this 9.5 with the Sooners.
0: Uh, Paul with your Texas to win it all pick uh, to win the conference uh, who does threaten you who you feel threatened the most by second choice Oklahoma or is it third choice at plus 550 Kansas State Kansas State who won the league last year how about the uh, conference championship game comes down to the very the, the, the inch line it seems like back-to-back years with uh, Baylor and Oklahoma State the year before but Kansas State they returned the entire offensive line we're talking about from Uh, Tackle to tight end, all six. Several of those passing on the NFL draft. Will Howard for Martinez in relief. Played well, something to build on now, and that he knows he's the guy. Lose two good cornerbacks, however, Kleiman is legit though. He's 30 and 20 at a place that's very, very difficult uh, to win in uh, in Manhattan, Kansas. How do you view uh, the Wildcats, and who do you fear more as being the the chief competition, or is it somebody else besides Oklahoma and Kansas State?
1: First of all, I tell you, I agree totally, totally, and I like to be on the same page as Bruce. Uh, we developed these opinions over the summer, and, and you know, we spend a lot of time on it. But it's a guess; it's a very educated guess. But but you know, we're kind of making our projections on air. But I, I like to be on the same page as uh, as Bruce, and he's spot on on Oklahoma. Uh, just touching on them real quick. They gave up in eight conference games. They gave up forty one or more points in five of them, and gave up thirty eight points in another. They not only lose Marvin Mims at wide receiver, Eric Gray at running back, they lose two offensive tackles who were both drafted in the first three rounds. Uh, Anton Harrison was the first round pick. So I, I don't, you know, the coordinator to head coach, people just think these great coordinators are going to be great head coaches. And it's totally not the truth. That, that's just a fallacy. And I'm afraid Brent Venable's He might be that classic rah-rah defensive coordinator who goes crazy and bangs his head on the wall and gets everybody fired up in the offseason speaking circuit, uh, who's maybe not the CEO. Uh, But back to your your question there, I think it's a four-team race behind Texas. I really do. I I think not only Oklahoma and Kansas State, as you mentioned, but I think TCU and Texas Tech. I really like this Texas Tech team. Uh, Certainly... Uh, Kansas State, I, I give them a, a little bit of maybe a, a little more of a, a higher opinion than Oklahoma. And as you you spoke, that offensive line, they they return all five guys. Deuce Vaughn, obviously a, a huge loss with over 4,900 total yards offense. But, uh, you know, like you said, uh, Chris Kleiman, to me, he's just an extension of, of Bill Snyder. You know, it's almost like Bill snyder light. You know, he just wins. Seems like he does more with less. You know, he has to recruit the JUCOs out of the Kansas Jayhawk Conference, has to get some other spare parts and put it all together. His quarterback, Will Howard, got some valuable experience last year. I think he gained confidence as he went uh, along. So I think Kansas State, maybe just a touch above uh, Texas Tech. You know, this is Joey uh, Joey McGuire, just an incredible uh, uh, Texas high school coaching legend who spent a, a couple of years at Baylor and then got the job. Last year they beat uh, Texas and Oklahoma for the first time ever in the same season. They won their last, I believe, uh, four games. Uh, They beat Ole Miss by 17 in the bowl game. They lose Tyree Wilson, their great defensive end, but got Tyler Schuff back. Uh, McGuire, huge. He's very high on uh, Tyler Schuff and Barron Morton as well, their other quarterback. He says both. Or Sunday quarterbacks. Now he might be biased, but he thinks both are going to play in the NFL. So I think Texas Tech and Kansas State they might be the teams ultimately that vie for that second spot in the Big Twelve,
0: especially in this uh, transfer portal NIL era of uh, football. Man, when you make a coaching change, it is it it, it it's almost like a a, a duct tape uh, uh, approach to the roster because you're you know when you are when you don't have an active head coach, they are. They are poaching your roster, and they're not poaching for the weak weak players. I mean, and you really get hurt. in Texas Tech in year one under Joey McGuire, eight and five. And you want to talk about a tough place to win in Lubbock as well? So what do they do? And they've got a plan. First of all, as you know, Paul, very high school heavy with their staff. Okay, that is a ton of – Texas high school roots that they are, they're not going anywhere else uh, for any of their players. And they have relationships built, you know, within the Texas high schools. And also administratively because where everything is all over the place with the transfer portal and NIL, what they did, and this is not the only thing, but all 85 players have a stipend. All 85 on that roster have a a definitive NIL stipend. They, They may be able to build upon that, but they know that coming in. And that's just... Man, that's in this era where everybody's trying to figure it out, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. And Paul, you also know they played with a, I mean, a carousel at quarterback where guys were getting hurt left and right and over and over. I'm impressed, and I think I think Texas Tech and I like them. Uh, my own pick is over seven and a half in their win total. Bruce, how do you feel?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm this is a year McGuire. It's a heavy uh, upper class uh, roster. Uh, now next year is what I'm a little more concern now he may have to hit the portal pretty hard next year because he's gonna lose a lot from this year's team not that that matters that much these days because you can go back in the portal but um, I think McGuire is the right guy there I think it's interesting when I was in a Nashville last week I talked to Harold Grater from the uh, Liberty Bowl committee and we got talked about Texas Tech he said you know he said I had to go watch them they're one of the few teams on our radar he said last year he said I had to go to Lubbock he said now he's from Memphis and he said, uh, Paul, get a kick out of this. He said, you know how much it costs to fly from Memphis to Lubbock? He said, it was like 1500 round trip. He said, I don't have that sort of budget. He said, so what I did, I flew to Love Field and I drove. He said, I didn't know it was five hours to uh, from Love Field to Lubbock. So he's out there. It's not Dallas. And uh, he was at the south end of the Metroplex when he won in high school there. Uh <laughs> down downwind let's see i know they've got they've got everything uh, set up there with the nil uh nice and they've got the whole roster covered uh but he, he didn't inherit a barren cupboard there uh from uh wells and sonny combi before him so i think the test for him is going to be down the road this year though for the reasons you said and with shuff whose record is really good when he's been in there uh They'd i think they won all the starts last year yeah uh they keep him healthy and you know uh this could be a year. Texas, uh, Paul Stone might be right. Texas Tech could be a contender this year. Downstream, though, I'm uh, keeping an eye on them. After this year, I think it's going to be, we'll see two, three years from now how this is going at Texas Tech. But this year, I agree, they could be right in the mix.
0: Paul, what did I miss about uh, talking about uh, Texas Tech and how they've kind of shaped this, This, uh, you know, this this Joey McGuire uh, staff and this administration getting on the same page? Did I miss anything when we're talking about Texas Tech before we move on?
1: I think you made a great, uh, you know, point for the listeners and viewers and that they have a plan on nil you know everybody's you got to have a plan if you do what everybody else does and you're texas tech some of the other you know power fives with the bigger stick are just going to out muscle you but they're doing something different that's like you know texas obviously has as many resources as anybody in the nation but you know they're nil they're big people they said we want it to go to the offensive lineman. Their offensive line recruiting has not just all of a sudden magically gotten better, <laughs> the best in the country, just by no design. It's by NIL design. So, you know, that that's critical. You've got to have a plan. And don't underestimate Texas Tech's resources. There are a few schools, okay. I mean, in the country that have resources like they do. They really, uh, you know, A&M and, and Texas uh, certainly are the two flagship schools in the state of Texas. But Texas Tech is not all that far behind. Another addition that he did make to the staff that's not a guy from the high school ranks who's very critical is uh, Zach Kitley, uh, who was at Houston Baptist with uh, uh, Bailey Zappi. And then Bailey Zappi transfers to Western Kentucky, and Kitley gets that job as well uh, at Western Kentucky, and the rest is history. Now Kitley uh, is the offensive coordinator for the second year at Texas Tech. And um, Bailey Zappi, I believe, is on an NFL roster. So, uh, But I think kitley has been instrumental. You know, he's one of these great young minds, uh, offensive minds in college football right now. And it's an offensive game. And to have one of those types of guys, um, you know, at your school, I think really attracts quarterbacks and wide receivers, which is what it's all about.
0: That's interesting. I, I You know, maybe I was a little off on maybe the budget aspect of the resources for texas tech maybe sliding them a little bit but i know coaches have gone there including like rich rodriguez who was went to go visit to take the job as offense coordinator at clemson He like i don't know if i could recruit all the way out here so it's maybe the remote location uh, in west texas at lubbock that we kind of put as maybe a hurdle uh to you know to overcome it's not in the more populated areas of texas so uh, yeah go ahead paul
1: I'm just going to make one more point, just kind of a side note, neither here nor there. I used to be a sports writer back in the day, interviewed for a job at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. They flew me out there and I really thought I was going to take it. Uh, my sister-in-law at the time went to a nursing school at Texas Tech. So, you know, I'm from East Texas. They're from West Texas. That's like, you know, Lubbock's in West Texas. That's like two different countries in the state of Texas. So I asked my sister, I said, Denise, is there anything uh, that I should know about Lubbock before I take this job? And she said, "Well, one thing, Paul, you got to get used to is when those sandstorms hit, you got to get all that dirt out of your teeth." I said, "Man, I don't know if I want to do that." So I didn't take the job. So uh, and and people though who who are are, uh, West Texas people, man, they love love it. And they are – well, they are really – they don't want you talking bad about them, so I maybe better be looking (laughs) over my shoulder. But that's my Lubbock, Texas story.
0: There you go. All right, well, to the two teams that have won the Big 12 championship the past couple of years, TCU and Baylor. Let's start with Baylor, um, Paul, and let you go first because you've identified uh, this win total – uh, it's at seven right now, shaded to the under at minus one twenty-seven at Bett Rivers. Blake Shapen is back for Dave Aranda, but only one offensive lineman returns. Um, the uh, the the two transfer uh, offensive linemen from BYU trying to help out there. Uh, Dave Aranda, defensive specialist, fired his defensive coordinator, and you know they probably weren't as good as 2021, where they you know stopped Oklahoma State six inches. From the goal line in the Big 12 championship. And then Matt Corral went down early in the Sugar Bowl that allowed them. So maybe a little you know, inflated there, but maybe not as bad as 2022. Uh, also, uh, with their record uh, just a year ago, uh, really struggling. So Dave Aranda now is back in their Win total is at seven, Paul.
1: Yeah, got a win total there at Bett Rivers of seven. I believe juice to the under at minus 127. Uh, you know the Bears last year. They're six. They finished six and seven, uh, four and five in uh, league play. They. I don't put a whole lot of stock in bowl games because teams come to come into those bowl games with such different degrees of what I call collective team psyche. So maybe they weren't fully invested, but they lose by two touchdowns to Air Force nonetheless. I have tons of respect for uh, Baylor head coach Dave Aranda, but frankly, you know, I just don't see any reason to expect anything different in twenty twenty three. And one of the reasons uh, was what you indicated. I mean, they returned one offensive lineman, starting offensive lineman from last year, Blake Shapin back at quarterback. And I think he's a serviceable quarterback. I think he can hold serve against the lesser teams on their schedule. I just don't think he can beat the teams that maybe are a little bit better than Baylor. I don't think he can win football games. And if he uh, proves me wrong, I'll be the first to congratulate him. But, I just see this team. They got to win eight games, go eight and four for me to lose this ticket. We tie at seven and five, but I think they're much closer to a six and six football team. You know, they relied so heavily on that defense in 2021 when they won the conference, only allowed uh, 19.2 points per game versus FBS opponents. Last year, they gave up over 28 points a game and they lose their top guy up front, uh, defensive tackle Siaki Ika, who was a third round pick. So I just think this Baylor team. I think they're probably about who they were last year, so I look for this to be probably a six and six team. I recommend Baylor under one twenty seven at minus one twenty seven.
0: Paul Stone with the under uh, Baylor 7 uh, in that one. Well, I said TCU, no, no, it's not just the SEC that you're runner-up. your runner up uh, you do not have to win the, the conference championship to go to the championship game. TCU fell just sto- uh, short. I don't want to forget Kansas State's win uh, in the uh, in the Big 12 championship game last year, Bruce, because that's one that you like, and we touched on them a little bit, but you like the over with uh, K-State and in uh, Chris Kleiman's team this year.
2: Yeah, yes, I do. And by the way, an, an unsung star here. How about the athletic director at Kansas State, uh, Gene Taylor? Uh, you talk about a couple of hires that have worked out very well. Uh, they had to get it right. It, it's a very unique situation there. Uh, and after Bill Snyder uh, retired for the second time, they didn't get it right the first time. And Ron Prince came in there and after three years, uh, it wasn't going anywhere. And they brought Snyder back or Snyder wanted to come back. So you had to find the right guy, and they went to North Dakota State, which had won those uh, FCS titles, found Kleiman, and he has done extremely well. He looks like the second coming of Snyder. Uh, that record actually includes 2020. A lot of vagaries with the COVID season. It wasn't good for Kansas State, but I'm willing to eliminate that. They've been in bowl games every other year. And last year got to 10 wins, won the championship and that thrilling game against uh, against TCU in the conference title game. Uh, in a revenge game, in a uh, the regular season game in October, Uh, Kansas state was well ahead in that game, had some quarterback injuries and, uh, and ended up losing that, but they got revenge in the, in the uh, conference championship game. Gene Taylor, one other thing, he brought Jerome Tang up from Baylor basketball side. All he does his first year is get to the elite eight. So I think they got an AD who knows what he's doing. Kleiman really does too. And there's sort of a throwback element to Kansas state. And this is sort of what Steiner's teams did, uh, all through his, uh, two tenures there. Uh, when they were going well. Physical style, I mean, it's a run-first offense there, um, and we'll see how they handle it without Deuce Vaughn. My general thought is, and I might have mentioned this earlier, I think a lot of skill position players at these major schools, Power 5 conference schools, you can replace uh, most of them a great running back though might not be that easy and and Vaughn did a lot of things for them last year and he was about 2,000 total yards that he gained they like Giddens the backup last year uh, who showed some some uh, ran with some flair when he had a chance so they think he might be able to step in there Will Howard at quarterback um, he was a better option for them last year than Martinez when he was healthy and he started games. They scored over 43 points per game in the games that he started. So uh, he's a guy, rough quarterback, good dual threat, knows how to run this offense. That offensive line is back, like you mentioned. So I think they're going to be pretty stout uh, uh, stout running the ball again, and they're going to be physical, that same sort of style that has worked for them so well in the past. Defensively, they've got some uh, reloading to do. They did lose a couple of key players uh, and some to the NFL But, I mean, this has been a defense that's been in the top half of the Big 12 every year since Kleiman got there. Um, And I think this is, again, physical style. They've been generally tough to run against. And this is a little different than you see from the other Big 12 schools. A lot of them finesse-oriented. And this has been a good matchup for Kansas State uh, in recent years. I think they're going to exceed that number. I think they're a pretty good bet. Uh, Paul's probably right. Texas should be the favorite to win the conference. And, uh, you Know, I could see them winning and being a bet there, but if you're looking for a longer shot, you get a pretty good price on Kansas State. I like to win Kansas this State over
0: as well, uh, yeah, yeah, over the eight as well, uh, in the Big 12. I mentioned TCU, Paul, and what a magical uh, debut in the Big 12 for uh, for Dykes. And as they get all the way to the national championship game, he lost his offense coordinator, but Kendall Browse, Boy, that was a nice grab from Arkansas, one of the best. Got a, got a saying there. You can make uh, Felipe Franks look serviceable, you're pretty good. And that's what Kendall Bryles did up in Fayetteville. So, uh, they um, Chandler Morris actually beat out Duggan last year, but got hurt in that opener up in Boulder, Colorado. So, he's back, but they replace a lot, uh, does TCU. Just your overall thoughts of TCU this year, Paul.
1: Well, first of all, talking about Chandler Morris, who you guys probably know is the son of former Arkansas head coach uh, Chad Morris. Chandler Morris, if y'all remember that game in 2021 when Baylor ended up winning the conference, Chandler Morris had to go in for Duggan, uh, a home game there in Fort Worth. I think TCU was getting about four and a half from Baylor, but Chandler Morris in that game had 531 total yards. Uh, He threw for 461, ran for another 70, a lot like Duggan in that he's a uh, dual threat uh, quarterback. So it's kind of odd to say when you have a Heisman Trophy runner-up quarterback who's out the door, and now you replace him with the guy who I believe started maybe two career games and say there might not be any drop-off. But I think that that might be the situation here. They think very highly of Chandler Morris. You know, as far as TCU as a whole, I'm not sure what Sonny Dykes can do for an encore, you know, after leading TCU to the national championship game uh, in his first season in Fort Worth. Um, but whatever he accomplishes, uh, he's going to have to do it with a, you know, relatively new cast of characters. Uh, They lost eight players to the NFL draft. That ties a school record. uh, The top of those, 21st overall pick wide receiver, Quentin Johnston. So a lot of talent. Uh, You noted they lost uh, Garrett Riley, uh, who uh, goes to uh, Clemson, but in comes Kendall Bryles from Arkansas. So probably a wash there. Other things that I look at from year to year, TCU last year, they were plus four in what I call net close games those being games decided by seven or fewer points, plus four in that category, plus six in the turnover category. So those things uh, oftentimes will regress to the mean. So I think you've got to expect TCU uh, to have some slippage. I mean, that's not taking, again, any – not out on any big limb there. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how much slippage there is because Dykes has proven himself to be a capable uh, coach, and he's got his work cut out for him this year
0: and uh in the yeah, the odds makers are putting that uh, that win total at seven and a half so I mean it came off a five and seven year it went 13 and two uh but uh, seven and a half and remember you know the all of those tight tight wins I mean that's probably going to even out and maybe even flip uh, to the other side so we'll see uh this year but but similar uh, expectations for TCU, but an unbelievable uh, first year. There's no question. Iowa State, on the other hand, though, uh, Matt Campbell, one of the hottest coaches. You want to talk about maxing out in limited resources in a major conference? It's tough to win uh, up in Ames. Matt Campbell has done it. First losing season since his uh, since his first uh, back in 2016, at four and eight last year, so five winning seasons at Ames in between, uh, Bruce, um, one and eight, including one and eight in the Big 12. They were uh, and and but they were plus 52 in yards per game. So how did they how did they do it? Well, they were last in Pollard five in red zone conversions, and also they you know they lost every one possession game. Now it's a streak of 10 and counting. That they've lost all of these close games, clutch, or not so clutch, or just bad luck. But you're looking at this Iowa State total at five and a half. You like the over, Bruce?
2: Yeah, I do, and I know it. it sort of started the previous year where they they uh, they sort of faded at the end of the year. They lose every close game. It seems like, and that was even when uh, you know Brock Purdy uh, was was still there in, in, in Brees Hall. But uh, th- what what Matt Campbell has done here is to elevate this program up and and he had several good years there and that was sort of an expected drop off last year um, when especially you considered how well Uh, Purdy and Brees Hall performed in the NFL. I mean, how do you replace two guys like that who took the NFL by storm? It's going to be pretty tough. Still, though, you wonder, I mean, if if Campbell, maybe he walked under too many ladders last year. Maybe there were some black cats spotted around Ames because all these close games, if not for bad luck, they wouldn't have had any last year. Five losses by a TD or fewer. Um, I mean, they lost games uh, 10-9, 14-11, 14-10. Uh, Really, really close. Obviously, the offense took a step or two or three back last year. Hunter Decker's numbers were not that bad if you just look at them from the outside, but those red zone numbers are concerning. He threw a few too many picks. Also, they weren't running the ball nearly as good last year, down to 3.3 yards per carry. And that made the power element that worked so well for Iowa State in previous years not work quite as well. Deckers has to up his game some this year. And Campbell, and I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of these coaches at Media Days, he I think he's one of the smartest guys I've talked to. You just know this guy is intelligent when you talk to him. Uh, He's made a change in his staff. He's promoted uh, Shellhouse from uh, a young coordinator with a lot of potential. He's now his new offensive coordinator this year. He had to make a switch after last year because things went badly. A lot of it is going to be Uh, getting Deckers to cut down some of his mistakes. But now, Deckers enters this year with a year of experience under his belt. And he did enough last year to suggest that maybe this offense is going to improve. No question about that defense. John Heacock, one of the best uh, coordinators in the country. They have managed to keep him there. This is a top 20 defense again last year. They've got a lot of returnees back. They are going to be tough again on that side of the ball like they have been throughout this recent run by Iowa State. Last year, too many close losses. My one concern here is last year they won all of their non-conference games, including beating Iowa for the first time under uh, Campbell. That we thought was going to be a, a, a watershed win and really a launching point last year, but they started to lose all those close games early, and that just sort of continued. And then by the end of the season, that TCU game, it was just all it just all went uh, sideways for them. I think they bounce back this year. I think there's a chance they go three and zero again in non-conference play. They get Iowa at home this year too, so that would be big in Ames. And I think having Decker with a year under his belt, he'll cut out some of those errors. I trust Campbell to get them back to 500, back in the bull mix, so it's an over for me in Ames.
0: Iowa, Iowa State, the only under to challenge Army-Navy, it seems like, <laughs> with the, that the scoring is at a premium. Uh, so, yeah, over 5.5, Iowa State looking for Campbell and his crew to uh, bounce back up in Ames. And, uh, uh, you know, Paul, on the other ones we didn't mention, Kansas, what a, a fun year for them, getting to a bowl game. Started out 5-0, and 0, uh, but then their lack of depth and defense wore over. They finished, uh, lost seven of their last eight. Jalen Daniels is back in 90% of the offensive production, but defense was last in the Big 12 and they don't look to be much improved. Oklahoma State 17 years in Stillwater for Mike Gundy, 17 winning seasons and they're 65 to 1, their win total is exactly even Steven at Bet Rivers at 6 at 6. Uh, they started, they, they, what, a near miss from the Big 12 championship in 2021, a 5-0 and start last year before Sanders went down when they lost 6 of 8, including he was out for those five uh, losses. And then finally, West Virginia looks like in Morgantown, Neil Brown is coaching for his job uh, with West Virginia. Thoughts on those three teams when we talk about them, uh, Paul? Yeah,
1: you know, first of all, Oklahoma State, uh, you know, they were hit about as hard as any team. Uh, any Power 5 team, uh, rather, in the nation through the portal. They, they lost tons of players uh, in the portal. And not just, you know, you lose a lot of players in the portal, and a lot of times they're backups and guys who, you know, you wanted them on your roster to, to have your roster built up and to have depth, but they weren't going to be starters. But, I mean, they lose one of the most inexplicable transfers, and nothing surprises me in today's college football, but you've got a four-year starting quarterback right. and Spencer Sanders, leaves Oklahoma State for Ole Miss, it's not like Ole Miss doesn't have a quarterback. I mean, they've got an incumbent quarterback, Jackson Dart. Sanders is healthy. I think if Sanders gets an equal shot, I think he's even though he has turnover problems, his upside is so much higher, I think, than Dart. So I I think he could be the starter there. But that's that's just troubling that that Spencer Sanders leaves. And and then Dominic Richardson, their top running back, transfers out. Uh, Three of their top six receivers are gone. All-conference linebacker Mason Cobbs out the door – cornerback Jabbar, Muhammad, the list goes on and on. So you got to be worried about what's going on there uh, at Oklahoma State. This line was universally uh, six-and-a-half at about all the books a few weeks ago, and I played it under uh, at that point. Uh, You were talking about West Virginia. You know, there's no question. Uh, Neil Brown coaching for his job. I think anybody who keeps a a list of coaches on the hot seat, you're certainly going to have Neil Brown at the at the top of that list, and it just hadn't been, uh, you know, the results have not been what they were expecting, you know, when they hired him. Uh, somebody's going to be finished last, you know, going to be picked to finish last this year in the Big Twelve, and it's probably going to be West Virginia. He has let yet to win six games in any single season uh, there in Morgantown. He's fourteen in uh, twenty-one in conference games. Only got ten starters back. Uh, total, so it's it uh, looks like uh, it's going to be a tough ask to see Neil Brown back in the captain captain's chair there in Morgantown this time next year. And then the last one, did you ask about Houston, Kansas. or Kansas? Yeah, Kansas is a team. You know, you talked about their their defense. I mean, their offense. Obviously, last year they come out of the gate uh, very strong. Um, game day comes to. Kansas, I think they were five and zero, and then they went on that losing streak. But you look at that defense; they gave up seven hundred and one yards to Oklahoma. It was a three overtime game against Arkansas in the bowl, but they gave up six eighty three in that game. They gave up five hundred and ten or more uh, yards in three other games. So they, they really they have got to get better uh, on defense, uh, and uh, you know that's uh, you know that's going to be their challenge. Jalen Daniels, obviously. Uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Uh, but if Kansas doesn't show any improvement, I think they're really going to be battling uh, to hit that 500 mark this year in the Big 12.
0: Paul, you uh, have identified one of the games that you like, though, on September 30th in the Big 12, and that's in Austin where Texas does host Kansas, and you're looking at those up points in that one. Yeah,
1: you know, Texas uh, is 20 points. Uh, Texas, first of all, uh, they're only two and nine in Big 12 games, uh, in their last 11, when cast as a double-digit favorite, so they hadn't been uh, particularly good in this role. And 20 points is a lot of points. I like the scheduling dynamics here. Texas is going to be off a road game at Baylor. They'll have arch rival Oklahoma uh, waiting on deck uh, there at the Cotton Bowl. You know, obviously, two years ago, Kansas's last trip to uh, to Austin, they defeat uh, the Longhorns as a 31-point underdog. Uh, but by the same token, last year the Longhorns really handled the Jayhawks, uh, 55 to 14, and Lawrence led that game 31 to zero at the half. And I think that kind of plays a role. I think it's tough to to just really destroy to uh, the same team uh, in back to back years. And one thing that I'll add, and this is not only specific to this Kansas-Texas handicap, but in general for our listeners, a 20-point th- uh, underdog this year is different than a 20-point underdog last year the rule change yeah the clock only stopping in the final two minutes of the first half the final two minutes of the game heard a guy with ACC today on, on Sirius, it might have been their head of officials said that experts I've heard a lot of different opinions say that seven to nine plays will be lost and that's significant not only on handicapping totals but when you're talking about a 20 point underdog you shorten the game games are uh, hypothetically going to get closer so I like that element of the handicap as well I like Kansas plus 20 uh, over Texas and Austin, there at the end of September.
0: All right, Bruce, wrap it up. You've got four new entrants. You got uh, BYU. giving up their independent status, but then three coming over from the American Central Florida and in uh, Gus Malzahn with uh, John Reese Plumley. He'll have to improve that uh, that touchdown to interception uh, ratio there. He did take some strides as a passing and dev- passing development, but needs to take that next step. Houston, we talked about them. Dana Holgerson is back in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, once was with the uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers and, um, and Cincinnati, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston. Cincinnati, this is the one that you've identified, Bruce, and look about the job that uh, Fickle had done in Cincinnati. He 53 wins in five seasons. 53 three wins in five seasons but they uh they were in position their starting quarterback they lost for the home game against Tulane which would have put them in a the conference championship game but they lost by three at home with the backup quarterback they do bring in Emery Jones via Florida and Tempe who's now in uh, Cincinnati and Satterfield seems like it's a it's a, a drop off uh from Luke Fickle five and a half is for a a program that's won 53 games in five years. I know they're stepping up in class in the Big 12, Wow, uh, that's the number right now at Bet Rivers.
2: Yeah, and and I think they're going to have trouble getting there. And uh, this was a little bit of a curious hire. That thing really plat, uh, plateaued for Satterfield at uh, Louisville. Interestingly, they Cincinnati played Louisville in the bowl game last year. After that uh, move was made, they played in the Fenway Bowl. Uh, Satterfield sat out and watched his old Louisville team win twenty four to seven. But that's kind of an interesting thing in the bowl games that the Satterfield's <laughs> coming and going teams were facing each other. Luke Fickle. I mean, a lot of people thought, I mean, he, he, he stuck around there. He he wasn't interested in the USC job a couple of years ago. His old AD, who's since been fired at USC, Mike Bone, tried to lure him there. He didn't want to go. And the thought was he would stay at Cincinnati for a long time. The only jobs he might leave for are Ohio State, maybe a job like Wisconsin or Notre Dame, Wisconsin opened up and he takes that one. But maybe you look deeper here and maybe this was the right year for Fickle to move because Almost everybody has left, certainly from this offense, only the center Gerhardt comes back from last year. So it's a completely new offense that Satterfield is going to have to try to install this season. Uh, you mentioned Emory Jones coming over here from Arizona State, Florida before that. He's been erratic throughout his career. At best, uh, Satterfield is hoping that Emory Jones can sort of mimic what Malik Cunningham did for him at Louisville when he was healthy. But keeping Jones healthy and consistent, that's going to be a problem. Upgraded competition, like you mentioned, this year. And only three starters back on defense, too. So they have fewer returning starters, if you go by that metric, than anybody in this league and one of the fewest in the country. Tough spot to come in here for for, uh, Scott Satterfield. I don't think they get there. They miss Texas. They do play Oklahoma this year, though, uh, at Nippert Stadium. But still. Uh, this is a big rebuild. His coordinator comes over with him from uh, Louisville. Is pretty well respected, Brian Brown, but uh, I don't think he's got a lot to work with right off the bat. This is an adjustment year, and asking them to get to 500 to get over, that's tough. I think they're going to land under.
0: And no doubt, uh, we've seen some of those uh, defensive players from Louisville, like a, a smoke Gardner, a Sauce Gardner rather. I mean, that could flat out play. I mean, uh, one of the elite cornerbacks immediately. Where it's pretty difficult to play cornerback as a rookie in the NFL. So Cincinnati looking for a drop off. That's under five and a half minus one thirty-seven right now at Bet Rivers. College football, it's here, baby. Yes indeed. We got a lot of these coming for you. That's our Big Twelve for Bruce Marshall from CBS Sports Line in Vegas Insider. Paul Stone at Paul Stone Sports. I'm Jimmy Ott here on the Sports Better's Paradise YouTube channel.